This is the Power to Podcast, show 96. I, I do emphasize a lot of collaboration, and we do a lot of project-based learning and in our in our other in our science social studies classes that lend itself to working together, you know. Um Welcome to a real-world education with insight and advice from teachers in the game, where current and former educators reveal what truly sets apart the great teachers and what it takes to make a positive impact on students. Whether you're in pre-service learning, new to the game, or a seasoned veteran, this is the show for you. You'll leave feeling inspired to take action because we are powering education by empowering you. Hey, what's going on, everyone? This is Ken Ehrman, host of the Power to Podcast, and I am here back with my co-host, Mr. Matt, the Swagless Rogers. Matt, You're... what's going on, my man? <laughs> hey, buddy. How are you? I, uh, I'm i sad to say that I was not able to join you at um, the the convention. Teach Better. The Teach Better convention in Cleveland. Yep. Um, but I got to see a few snaps and I'm looking forward to see what you put together for us. Yeah. Um, and you got to use my Phillies tickets for I the, did. Uh, I did opening playoff, opening I had a, playoff series. I had a great time. Don't you worry. So, yes, sir. Yeah. How, so it, it was, it was a fantastic conference. Um, I highly recommend it to our audience. I am already anxious to see where they'll host it again next year. I'm not sure that they're committed to the location, their first event was in 2019, and then it was obviously put on hiatus because of COVID. So I don't know if I know it's going to be an annual conference. I don't know if that location is is, is standard, but it was a really cool place. It was in the National Inventors Hall of Fame in Akron, Ohio, which is now a middle school. And so, uh, for imagine being in like a very sciency stem inventors kind of space like just cool stairwells the elevator was all open like you could see all the mechanical parts of the elevator uh if you've ever been to philadelphia or you're familiar with philadelphia and you've been to the franklin institute imagine a small much smaller version of that being converted into a school so it was a really really cool venue um and what i loved about it was it was just about being a better teacher very teacher-centered, very teacher-focused, mostly on instructional practice, you know, things on assessment and a little bit on technology. And, you know, mine was on student-centered learning. And uh, I was recording podcasts live there as well as 10 other podcasters, great keynote speakers. Uh, I've been to a lot of conferences and uh, it was it was one of the best for sure. It was just, it was a smaller audience uh, networking events at night, um, at restaurants and at bars and just, you know, hanging out, just getting to talk to great teachers and teachers that are super passionate about just being better. Right and things. so it was, it was really, really a great experience. Very cool. Well, I don't know if you want to keep on expanding on it because I could ask you a ton of questions, but I think we probably should transition to this episode because absolutely boy, yeah. so oh boy, it, was it dynamite. <clears throat> It was a great episode. And the last thing I'll leave it with is uh, the teachers that I interviewed live uh, are show 94 and 95 
of our podcast. So check those out. Uh, total, I think, of seven or eight interviews that I did. Um, so kind of like a smaller version of our typical show. So it was kind of kind of fun to rapid fire through them. But yeah, we had Brett Doctor on tonight, who's from North Dakota. And I said this in the closing, but I feel like it was a very different conversation than we've we've had. We talked a lot about service learning, just a lot of different topics that I feel like we haven't honed in on too much on the show. What was what was your biggest takeaway? I think in summary, we forget how much a school is an anchor of the community. And like it a school is the probably major cog, you know, making that community better through the the walls of that school. And so frequently as teachers, and I'll speak from my my own sense, you know, when I did my big project-based learning uh, activities, they only really influenced the people and the families that were assigned to Mr. Rogers, sometimes to my school, but never beyond that. And so I, I found like this conversation led to opening those doors and saying, you know, a lot of community members put schools in the position to be super successful. How do we give back and how do we improve and how do we cement the values of what we're teaching in a way that's super meaningful, but also provides an impact. I think that's a perfect way to describe it and the transition into that. So uh, right before we bring Brett in, you'll hear from our our network uh, reminder of being a part of the Teach Better podcast network. And I'll also say to reference your nickname, this, the Swagless Rogers, I'm sporting our, our powered up t-shirt. I have a beautiful powered up mug. This thing came out really nice. That is awesome. Uh, which you can purchase if you are for our dedicated listeners who just want to share the podcast with others. Uh, you can you can purchase this stuff at teachbetterswag.com. And they have a lot of cool stuff on there from other podcasts and just uh, things that just say like teach better and just some fun teacher shirts as well. So check out Teach Better Swag to get some powered up merchandise or just some fun teacher merchandise as well. So we will hear from our affiliate and then we'll bring in Brett Doctor. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. Okay. Hi, Brett. Welcome to the Powered Up Podcast. How are you doing today? Hey, really well. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was fun uh, just hanging out before we, we started recording, talking football, talking sports, but let's jump into education right now. So officially introduce yourself to our audience. Let us know where you are coming from and give us a snapshot of your career in education. Okay, uh, for sure. I'm, my name is Brett Doctor. I'm the uh, 2022 North Dakota State Teacher of the Year. I am out of Harvey, North Dakota, which is roughly a town of about 1900 people right in the center of North Dakota. Um, I teach at a grade school, K through six. Um, I have 29 kids with me this year. Um, I also, I've been teaching in Harvey my whole career, uh, which spans uh, 20, 24 years in the classroom and then 26 coaching. And so I've, I've been around a while now. Um, some, I was in a, in a master's class not too long ago and they, they kind of said I was ending in, into my twilight years, I guess. So um, <laughs> I've been around a while, <laughs> uh, but I enjoy it. Love my job. Um, 
think think that every day is different in, in, in a good way. And so um, I'm excited about being with you guys tonight. Excellent. So as a, as an, a longtime experienced uh, coach, what have you learned in your time as a coach working with kids, coaching kids, um, you know, connecting them with, with them on a personal level, uh, really mentoring them as a coach? What have you learned in that experience that you feel has translated into the classroom in the way that you interact with your students that you probably wouldn't do or have the perspective to do if you weren't a coach? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think one of the things maybe, first of all, I've, I've learned is it's all right to fail um, and to pick yourself up and to keep trying and keep working through and persevering. You see that a lot in sports and in sports, you always hear this, but it's so true that sports is a great metaphor for life. Um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of ups and downs and that stuff I bring into the classroom. Um, I also, one of the things that I really love is the team aspect. I'm a football coach. And so I love seeing a group of young men and, and ladies sometimes come together for a common goal. And we can do that in a classroom just as well. And so I brought that and I bring that in as well. Um, and then I think lastly, it's taught me patience both in the classroom and then the classrooms also showed me patience on the football field and kind of works hand in hand. And, you know, just, just understanding that I'm working not with professional athletes, not with um, uh, full-time scholars. I'm working with young kids that uh, are going to make mistakes just like I do. And I, they deserve every last bit of um, compassion and patience that I have. So, Ken, you can correct me if I'm wrong, um, but Brett, you are our first teacher we're interviewing, uh, I believe, from North Dakota, correct? Yes. Am I right there, Ken? Yes, sir. And so one of the beauties, I had the chance to go to North Dakota uh, last summer. It was glorious. It was a beautiful, beautiful trip. What are some of the attributes that you feel like are unique to teaching in an environment like North Dakota that, you know, I teach in Pennsylvania, in the Mid-Atlantic, uh, quite a bit of population. Um, what are some unique features about teaching in that environment? And uh, what are maybe some of those challenges by teaching in an area that is um, definitely has some unique and beautiful features to it? Well, well, first, Matt, you said you came in the summer, which makes sense, because if you came in the winter, you might have had a different feel. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I do love it here. Um, one of the things that is really special to me is the, the feeling of community that North Dakota has. Um, you know, we do something in my class, which I, I'll talk about maybe a little bit later, is a, a community project. And it's so neat to see my kids interacting with community leaders and community members and none of them think twice about giving back to our classroom or our school you know and i think the other thing that makes north dakota maybe a little bit special is is there's so many chances for us to have one-on-one -on -one interactions with our classes you know i i'd say i have 29 and that's a, that's a fairly big class but generally we're talking 16 15 kids in a classroom you you can't help but have one-on-one -on -one things so you get to know your kids really well um and i think that's a great thing and there's a real there's still a real focus on family out here. And I, I love that part, you know, I love that part about our state is that we still, we, we're very, we're very family oriented for the most part. And so that all those things are, are reasons I love it. One of, one of the kind of hard things about it is, you know, we are rural. And so sometimes technology issues come up or, you know, just, just simply getting out there and, and meeting and seeing diversity a little more is kind of an issue. You know, we, 
even in my classroom, I don't have a whole lot of diversity. So, you know, showing kids there is a whole different world out there, that sometimes is a challenge for us. What are some of the strategies that you do to, to introduce them to those outside worlds and, you know, different cultures and things like that? Yeah. You know, and can you, I'm lot. sorry, Brett, can you also just well, clarify what grade you currently teach? Yeah, my apologies. I, I teach sixth grade. Okay. Um, I teach math, science, and social studies. Um, thank, sorry about that. Um, so, yeah, you know, bringing in, we do a lot of stuff as far as bringing in guest speakers. It was, it's been a really awesome blessing to be teacher of the year because I've met so many great people. And I've had the opportunity to bring in the teacher of the year or the national teacher of the year, Kurt Russell, yeah, to my team. And, you know, he's all, he's also a coach and let him speak to my team. And, and you know, um, other Anthony Swan, or Virginia, just people that are coming to my mind that I've had come in and speak to our kids and understand that there's a whole world out there, man. And, um, you know, we, we do have kids coming. We have a, a pretty good population of indigenous people outside our, outside our town. We have a few reservations outside our, our town. And, and so you, we can have those kind of people or those people come in and, and speak to our kids and, just trying to give them as many opportunities as I can to understand that this is a whole big world and what we have in this small town isn't what you're going to see everywhere else. We had Anthony Swan on just a couple of weeks ago. He's, yeah, he's a fantastic individual. Person. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And his story is, I mean, if you haven't watched his YouTube story, it's one of the best stories you're ever going to hear. He's just a great person. So, when you were um, when you were referencing your experience as a coach, you you mentioned about bringing the team atmosphere to your classroom. Can you give us any specific things that you do in your classroom to create that that team that team chemistry like you do with your with your football squad? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we do. You know, by accident, a few quite a few years ago, I got into involved in the service learning, and it was just by accident. You know, we were I, I believe I was teaching fourth grade at the time. We started counting. We were, we were on to the topic of a million and we started, started talking about a million and all the kids were like, hey, we can get to a million. That's easy. But everybody, and I said, you know, everybody takes that for granted. A million's a lot. So anyway, we, we launched our short. We started counting pop tops and collecting pop tops. And we had people mailing them from all across the nation. And um, we had all these pop tops. I mean, just thousands and thousands of them. And at the end of the year, I was like, what are we going to do with all these pop tops? And so I... I reached out to the Ronald McDonald house and they said, yeah, bring them on. And so we, we took a bus and we drove to Bismarck about hundred miles. The school gave us a bus and my kids got to go and deliver these pop tops to this Ronald McDonald house and get a tour and see some of the families in there. And they were so proud and so um, just empowered by that experience. I thought to myself, I got to keep this going somehow. I got to, I got to build off of this. So I, we started the next year. We started to talk about what could we do? To help others, what what kind of things around our community, and it kind of grew into this huge thing, where we we start help every year. Now we pick something in our community and we work towards helping it, like our senior center or our theater, and really that's where the team part comes in because the kids pick the project, they are the ones in charge of how we're going to get to meet our goals, what our goals are. They're they're running the whole show, and, I, and I'm just kind of like a in the background, what do you need kind of person? And it's so, it's so neat, see, neat to see them come together on committees and host things for our school and knowing that every kid had a part in it is, is great for me, but better for the kids. They, they feel so proud and you can see their self-esteem lifted because, Hey, without me, we couldn't have did this. And that goes back to that team idea of, you know, if, if you have a team of 11 and 10 guys doing their job and one guy isn't, um, that's going to be an issue. And so we, 
we kind of incorporate that, that everybody's got to do their part. Everybody's a huge part of this. And, and then we have a celebration at the end of the year. We call it, um, our school is called BM Hanson Elementary. So we call it BM Hanson Idol. And we have an idol competition and our, the sixth graders run the whole show. They're the hosts, they're the everything. And it, it's, it's, it's so neat to see just sixth graders, you know, doing this thing for a couple thousand people in our gym. It's really neat. And, and uh, it, it really fills my heart. Matt, what's your, I, I know creating a team and creating a community in your classroom is really important. Um, and I want to jump in after with a quick story of mine, but what's, what's a big specific thing that you do or moment or memory that you can reference in terms of creating that team atmosphere in your, in your fourth grade class? Oh man. Um, there's, uh, there's a lot, you know, I think we, we, we all understand that relationships are probably the most important part to teaching in today's world. And, you know, we've all been teaching for a while at this point. Uh, Brett, I'm, I'm in year 14, so not quite in my twilight, but I'm, I'm heading nice. towards it. <laughs> um, but I think that, you know, we've transitioned kind of in the last few years into that social emotional learning and the idea of Real learning happens through relationships. So I think one of the main things, and I, I've mentioned on the show before, is I don't shy away from having kids share the negative going on in their world um, because I feel like authenticity is the key thing. And now I teach fourth grade and that hovers on, you know, whether or not that ends up being perfect. I'll use an example. I was referencing my wife's uh grandmother had passed away who we were very close with and this was about two years ago and i'm announcing it to the class and it's relatively early on in the school year and a, a girl raised her hand says that she feels really sorry for mrs rogers and says that she she once lost her hamster too and she understands what it means to grieve and my first gut reaction was how dare you compare you know the loss of a grandmother to a hamster and then i realized that that was her, you know, using your terms, Ken, in that team mentality, showing empathy and care from the perspective and the experiences that they had. And I think not a, that's a great example, but, you know, when you prioritize team mentality, I've done nights where the kids kind of similar, Brett, what you were talking about, uh, put on a night uh, to thank their parents. So what they do is we have uh, some uh, females that end up in the upper grades, like fifth and sixth grade, they do like STEM activities and hands-on activities for the families. And then the fourth graders that are, you know, in my class and in the grade level create cardboard arcade games. And the parents are invited to come through and play the games because what I always joke and say is the parents have put up with so much, you know, craziness and, and, uh, challenge that they never get to be on the fun side of things. And that we talk about how the kids are, you know, part of that team mentality to make sure that the day is successful and that the day's not about them. Um, so those are just kind of two examples, Ken. I don't know if that really nails what you're kind of referring to, but I think it all just kind of goes down to how can I be authentic? How can I, you know, get the buy-in of all I think that buy-in of all is once you have that, boy, oh boy, is your year quite a bit easier. 
So I'll take a little bit of a, a different approach and then Brett, you can you can jump in and just give us your thoughts or feedback on, on what we're sharing because we're all just educators talking here. Uh, I'll take a different spin on my work that I, so I created a new studio when I was teaching fifth grade. Fifth grade was the oldest grade level in our elementary. So it was available to all fifth graders. And it was a new studio that was truly run completely by the students. They were operating the cameras, they were directing each other, they were reading on the news, they were editing, they were producing, they were doing it all. And, you know, after about two years of having it running, it was really a hundred percent student led. And I would bring on a few fourth graders at the end of the year that would learn from the fifth graders. And I would tell the fifth graders, listen, they're going to be taking your jobs. They're going to be on TV. They're going to be running the cameras. Like you got to step back and give it to them because it's, it's your job to pass the torch and you'll know you did your job. Well, if when you come back this time next year and the program is better than it is now, the program is better next year than you did your job this year. And so, you know, it created that, it really created that team bond. And, and then, you know, as the year operated, a, a message they heard a lot from me is do is like you said on the football field, do your role. If your role is to just simply point a camera, then that's your job. Don't tell the person next to you what to do. Trust that they're going to do their job. And, you know, it's, it, kids need to hear that whether they're high school, they're high schoolers on a football team or they're, they're fourth and fifth graders, second graders, they need to hear these things and learn how to operate as a team. And when you can create opportunities to force students and to teach them about trusting your teammates and, and know that do your part and trust they'll do their part. And if they don't, or you don't, then we figure out a solution. It's just, you know, when you can create those opportunities, I think it's really powerful for them to learn that. Absolutely. What you guys are saying is exactly what I believe. And I'm just going to take a couple of points where I heard Matt say one of the things that Matt said about, about, you know, when you, when you empower these kids and you give them these chances to like, you don't have discipline issues then, or as many maybe because they're all working together for the same thing. And, you know, people say, well, this kid did this for me the previous year. Yeah. I don't see that. I haven't seen that. I, there, this, this student is thinking about, the betterment of our whole group. And then the other, to, to build off what you're saying, Ken, the first thing we talk about before we even get into our community project is uh, leaving a legacy. We call it, uh, when we always, and so we have a journal and we start that day, what is your legacy? And so we, you know, throughout the year, we'll be talking about how do you want the classes below you and the, and the teachers that you're leaving to remind, remember you as because in our school the sixth graders are the kind of the top dogs and then they got to go over to the high school and they become the the, do, the bottom dogs again so to speak and so it's a really cool thing to see that hey you know everybody's watching me at this point what am i going to do um how am i going to um carry myself so that the rest of the school goes i want to be like that and it's it's really neat to walk around the hallways of our school and hear kids go i can't wait to be in sixth grade i can't wait to do those things and so as you guys know, part of maybe 90% of our battle sometimes is motivating. And so if you've already got that built-in motivation going for you, like, man, I can't wait to be doing that community project. I can't, I can't wait to be doing that newscast. You know, all these things that the, the card, the games you were making, Matt, all of these things are just great, uh, great tools in driving kids to uh, be, be successful in your classroom. One of the things that uh, not to, deviate from this but one of the things that you mentioned brett that i think is fascinating you know 
I I get the chance every week to sit on the side of the interview on this podcast, and we are fortunate enough. Ken coordinates with you know teachers of the year from across the country. We have been so fortunate by the minds and the representation of great teaching across the country. I absolutely appreciate and love how you talked about service learning and how you stumbled into it, because I think that that is the most comforting way to say something like that. You know, I, I watch these teachers that absolutely deserve to be teachers of the year because they took ideas that in my brain, I said, I couldn't take that to that level. And they're like, why not? Let's make it happen. And I think that's one of the beautiful things that, you know, what you're saying is, how do we make an impact? How do we make a legacy? How is that intrinsic motivation inside everything, check all the boxes of the best utilization of our time, you know, our effort, our motivation, all those features, because, you know, you may have a kid that's excited to, you know, develop their counting skills of the pop tops. You may have a kid that has been affected by childhood cancer or know someone who has. You may have a, someone who just wants to make a difference in a community because that's a natural thing at that age range. But I just feel like it's beautiful to hear that you didn't necessarily go into it with this, you know, finely aligned checklist that non-teachers of the year, that's me over here, feel it's such a, you know, you're a teacher and I'm a teacher. And I'm not, I don't, please do not take that, that I'm downplaying your, your accomplishments. But there's, there's this, uh, this reality check of saying, you know, you are, you are not one project away from being teacher of the year. That's not what I'm conveying. But it's the idea of where naturally, as teachers, we see roadblocks that you ask, why is that a roadblock? And how do we, you know, turn it into a positive? So I guess if you could kind of expand on that oopsie of what are we going to do with this? And how does that continue to drive service learning and and the impact and and really the justification of why it's worth that time in your head? That's, yeah, great. And you said a lot of great things there, Matt. One, you're, you're absolutely right. And first of all, I'll go back to the teacher year thing. When you, when you, I walked down the hallways of my school and I listened to teachers teach, I'm like, you know, there's, I don't know if there's a lot of difference between a teacher and a teacher of the year. There, there's so many great teachers out there that it's, you know, it's humbling to think that I've been in this position. And one of the great things is to get to be on shows like you guys, like this. I would have never had this opportunity. So that's been a great thing. Um, to, to get back to your point, though, yeah, I think sometimes the best things I've had in my class are by accident. Like I was expecting it to go some way and it didn't. And it, it totally blew my mind and said, okay, let's go, let's go this way and see where it goes. And to be honest with you, um, I find that the kids are the best teachers sometimes where they take you because that's the way they learn is the way you should follow it. Now it doesn't always work that way. And sometimes it blows up in my face, but it's, it's still that idea of I'm still learning. And as I, as I said to you, it, I've been at this a while, but it doesn't feel like it's been that long because I'm still excited about what I'm learning and what I'm what I'm doing with these kids. Um, you know, the service learning thing is is something that really it, it's really been something true and dear to my heart because of the fact that like 
interestingly enough, that year after that we did the um, pop tops, my niece was diagnosed with cancer and her dad and, and had to spend, um, I don't know, two or three months in the Ramadan house. And you think about what a small world that is that we just got done. We just done working. The next year we did um, the Shriners Hospital and we had families bringing students that were living or had been in the Shriners Hospital. And you realize the power of that place as well. And, and so all of these things, the, you don't really realize the impact of what you're doing until you step back and go, whoa, that we did something pretty important. And, and these kids are seeing that and, and they're feeling like, you know, we can make a change even in sixth grade. And and maybe maybe it's not a large change, but even a small change in today's world is something important. So, you know, I, I love the fact that it's always evolving. It's always changing. Um, no year for our, as far as our service learning project looks the same. It's always changing. And, and that's exciting to me. I, I don't think I could be in a classroom that looked the same every day. I, that just not, I mean, I just don't get excited like that. And I, I don't feel like I'm learning like that. And so it's, it's something that I've, I've been I've taking a lot of pride in. And what's really neat for me is, and I, I know we're in a small community, but our, our community has taken such a great, um, feel such a great pride in what these kids are doing. I get so many questions throughout the summers. What are you guys doing this year? What, what's it going to be? Where's it going to go? And, you know, and my answer is always the same. I have no idea. Um, this is the kids deal. This is where they take me. That's where we're going to go. And, and, and you're right. in the fact that, um, it brings them together. It brings our community together. And, and it's, it's something I, I, I always tell my wife, you know, if I ever stop this, they run me out of town <laughs> and, and probably literally would. So I've, I've really enjoyed it. And, and it's been a blessing to me just to stumble upon it. Yeah. I, I love so that. I, I want to, Ken, can I actually turn it on yeah. you real quick? I, I just yeah, want to kind of ask you. So like in Ken's situation, Brett, to give you some context, again, I've done 96 some episodes with him at this point. So I know a lot about Ken, the teacher. That being <laughs> said, I've heard a lot, Ken, from your end of experiences where the kids are, you know, really in control and directing it in a lens of something productive. And whether that's your bag tags, whether it's the new studio, whether it's just your, you know, student centered learning, what are uh, almost a steal from our, our lesson lens? What are some things that if you were to go back into the classroom, how would you naturally integrate service learning or maybe expand on things, service learning you have done in your classroom, but how would you, you know, pull that side into the school of that worldly purpose um, if you were to go back into your fifth grade classroom tomorrow? Uh, I think I'd be able to answer that really simply. I would open the conversation to how come, who is a, who is a community or who is a population or who is an organization in our community that we can help and, and run with it from there. And, you know, in a capacity of a classroom where they're used to taking ownership in that style. And I would foresee myself, because it's typically the way my classroom operated, embracing different students, taking different passions. Um, I tried genius hour or 20% time or passion projects, whatever you want to call them. I tried that probably three years in a row and failed miserably the first two times. And just, I was never able to get my students on board with something. And the third year, I had a lot of students complete something to that capacity. But 
simply for my own uh, just lack of thinking about the outside community myself, I didn't encourage or open the opportunity or, or get them to think about a service learning mindset with that. And so I would say in a classroom that operated very student-centered, it, it was more on me not, not opening the doors or opening their eyes to that possibility. Is that a regret of yours or do you just feel like it's something that just a different avenue that you chose not to take at that time? I wouldn't reference it as a regret, but I would, it would 100% be on my list of things I would do differently. You know, now being a coach for three years, I have a, a laundry list of things that I didn't do that I would do differently. And some of it is ideas I've had in supporting teachers where they were in a similar position that I was and just being out of the classroom, I've been able to just see like, oh, that is something I should have done. Let's, you know, and, and doing that with a teacher or seeing great teaching and seeing great things that teachers are doing in my district, as well as on this podcast and saying, yep, that's a hundred percent something that I would do. I have a laundry list of things that I honestly want to go back to the classroom just to do and just to be a, a much better version of myself. And so, um, uh, Brett, I want to ask you a question and this might flop completely, but I want to try <laughs> to, to take something out of it. You said about it being accidental of, you know, walking into the service learning. And there's a lot of things that you do that you accidentally find something or, or take the lesson down a road that you didn't plan that ends up working great. Do you think you're doing something in the way you design your lessons or the way you facilitate your classroom that provides you the opportunity to hit those accidents or to find those accidents? You know, it's like you can think of times in your life where you say, man, I'm really lucky this happened to me. Or someone will say, wow, you're so lucky that that happened. And in the back of your mind, you might think to yourself, well, it may look like I'm lucky, but I did a lot of stuff to put myself in the position to possibly have this happen, right? So there is still that little bit of luck, but you did a hell of a lot of work to put yourself in that position. So, because I kind of have, have a theory on this, do you think there's anything that you're doing specifically in your classroom, whether lesson design or the way you facilitate that opens yourself up to those accidents? Yeah, that's, that, that is, that is a great point. I, I do think so. I, you know, one of the things that I, I, I do emphasize a lot is collaboration and we do a lot of project-based learning and in our, in our other, in our science, social science classes that lend itself to working together, you know, um, Bill, last week, we just finished building coolers and, and chilling some Mountain Dews for class. And those kind of things lend to kids working together. Now, you know, it's what came first. I'm not sure if, if it was the project-based learning ideas or the, or the service learning, but they, they seem to fit for me. And um, and I, I think it, it requires you to to be open to what a, a classroom is going to look like. It's our classroom on certain days, if somebody walk in, they're going to say, man, that's chaos. But in, in, in my mind, it's controlled chaos. Like everybody knows where they're going. Everybody knows what they're doing and they're applying what we've learned to their, to their work, to their, what they're creating. And so, yeah, you're, I think we're building the, the service learning is building off of things that we've kind of built before that and are, and are continued to, but I think they kind of fit hand in hand and how I teach and, and how I want my classroom to look. I, I don't want kids to walk out of there going, 
man, you know, I wish I could have tried this. I want kids to be going, man, I can't believe I tried that. And, you know, the, one other point that I would, oh, when you were speaking, I was thinking, yeah, that's it. Um, I love the idea of kids finding strengths they didn't know they had. And I think, you know, whether it's through service learning or projects or whatever you're doing, you know, if kids will say, I can't do a lot of times your kids, I can't do that. Well, how do you know you've not tried it? And, you know, an example comes to my mind is speaking. Our, our kids get on the intercom in our school and they're giving announcements and, and they're talking about our projects coming up and they're announcing the school. Or they might go on the stage and announce a, what a contestant at the idol. And whatever it is, that kid that's doing it at the beginning of the year told me, I, I'll never do that. I can't do that. And I just love the idea of proving them wrong in a good way. Like, hey, you can do this. And it's because you've went outside your box. Now you're able to do it. And so I know that's a long answer, but I think it all kind of, kind of fits together. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And, and I think one of my strategies that I used and that I've started to encourage with teachers when we're trying something that's really different or outside of their comfort zone is plan as little as possible. So if you have a vision of where you want the students to go, maybe that's the end product, or you have a vision of what you want the journey to look like and you don't know what the end product might be, plan as little as possible because it's really easy to plug holes. But if you try to plan every single detail from beginning to end, you don't see where the students could have taken more ownership because they're just following the regimented path. And so I find it very gratifying. And like I said, very easy when you're doing it, you say, oh, well, you know, I, I need to clarify this. They're, they're lost here. I'm going to do that now. And then next year, I'll do that in the beginning. Right. So it allows you to see where they need your support versus supporting them the whole way and not seeing where you could have let go. Yeah. You know, it's. It's funny you see, you bring that up about planning. I think my my middle daughter is going into education. She's a senior in high school right now. She's going to education, and so we have a silk program we call it. And so she comes to my room four four days a week, and she'll she'll I'll let her teach a lesson here and there. And when she comes in, she's got to have everything scripted, right? She's got to, everything she's going to say, everything she's going to do. And just like you said, I let her do that because I want her to learn. But then when we get done, I'll say you know. If, if you just let it go this way, you might have found something different. And so and, and that's and that's something we all have to do and find our own find our own comfortability uh, with that kind of thing. But it, it, it's so true that um, I think you can't you can't script everything because you don't know which way the kids are going to take you. And that's to me, that's the best part about teaching is you don't know. No, and tomorrow for me, when I get up and start teaching, it's not going to look anything like today. I can guarantee you that. And that's, that's what makes me excited about going back tomorrow. So you mentioned a few times about, you know, not wanting to teach a repetitive classroom and the idea of like, everything's different. Naturally, I don't know what classrooms you see. My, my classroom looks different every single day, whether I wanted to or not. <laughs> um, that being said, yeah. you and I share something that I don't know how many teachers have shared, which is having a class of a lot of students. You know, my wife, the most number of students she's ever taught was 24 students, which is a considerable amount. I've taught 29 and it was my favorite year I ever taught. 
And I love how when you introduce about your educational experience teaching 29 students, your initial thing that you said was how you created one-on-one -on -one time in a class that didn't seem like there would be a chance for one-on-one -on -one time. I know from my end, I loved having 29 students because my classroom is very collaborative. And so you weren't always finding yourself collaborating with the same student over and over when you have a class of 17 students, there's only so many groupings and you have to keep Bobby away from Billy and you know, all these type things. So having experience in a large class, what is your feelings? What are the things that you enjoy? And what are the challenges behind that? Because you know, some of us walk into classrooms that are going to be 16 students. Um, and we think that's the dream. Um, but boy, oh boy, I, I would advocate for dare I say, larger class sizes, I absolutely love it. Yeah, I mean, especially in, in, the, in the realm of social studies and science for me, when, when we get to get our hands on projects, the kids aren't working with the same kids every time. And so that I like that. And, and we it's funny, I was in parent-teachers conferences tonight here, and I was just visiting with a parent, and I said, to me, collaboration and teamwork is what our world's about. I can't think of many jobs where you go and work in a cubicle all day by yourself. Kids need to understand the skills of what it is, what it means to work together. And when you got 29 kids in a, in a room, that's 29 different personalities that are coming out. And so it's a good for us to, to see all that and understand that we're going to have differences and how do we work through those differences and so on. Um, you know, and, and that's also, even that's a great thing. It's also a challenge, obviously. I mean, you know, you've got those different personalities that, that sometimes don't mesh, don't work well together. You have to find a way either to, to get them to work together or find another another avenue for them. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. You know, I, I like when I'm when I'm working in math areas. I like to have I like to have small group. And so sometimes with 29, that gets to be a challenge. But at the same time, you know, it's 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 our job. It's it's what we're we're here to do. And so you find a way. Um, I, but I. 29, I think my biggest class was 32 that year. And, you know, it was, it was, it was a challenge because we had so many behavioral uh, things, but also one of the great years that I made it because I, I thought to myself, if I can do 32, I can do anything. And I, it gave me a lot of confidence as an educator that I, you know what, I, I think I got this. And it was early on in my career that I had that and, and it gave me a lot of confidence. Like, you know what, I, I, I made it. I did, I did some good things, some things I need to improve on, but it kind of gave me a boost going forward into what I'm, what I'm doing now. I would definitely say that, you know, this year I, I get the, I have a small class, I have 17 and, you know, trying to get into how our classroom operates has been much smoother with those numbers. Um, yeah. I will also say the grading is, was my least favorite part. <laughs> you know, I had the tolerance to sit down and grade like 22 but the fact that I have to take two grading periods in order to get an entire class single thing done, that was brutal. But, you know, I'll challenge you, Brett, you know, today, if you had that same challenging behavior based group, but you've changed and you've developed this emphasis of community. Yeah, I, I will absolutely say the beginning of the year trying to get on board would be tough. Do you think that what your priorities are now as a teacher would change that outcome or your feeling of having those 32? Absolutely. Yeah. If I, the old say, if I knew, if I knew then what I know now, yeah. if I could take that back and, and redo that, 
that situation. I mean, and I, I think I was probably six years into my career at that point, you know, and, and just getting my feet wet kind of sort of, I would definitely do that. And I would definitely bring more of the team emphasis into that and the collaboration part and all that. And I, and I know that that would have made a huge difference for that group of kids. And I, you know, it, like it's, it's not a regret, but it, it, you kind of look back and go, gosh, if I just would have did that. And, and, but that's how we learn. And then, you know, going through that situation and going through these things over the years has made me a, a better teacher having these experiences and knowing how I would handle it. So if I have that same class again, yeah, I'm definitely going to do a lot of things differently. That, that's a great, that's a great point. And I and I'm, I would also venture to say that, like, as you mentioned, it was a great learning adjustment oh, yeah. that shifted your trajectory as well. I just think back to that group and just say, you know what, I, I feel like if I had that group right now with these skills and we all we always reflect and say, man, you know, I finally feel like I have it that I could handle and I would change so much of early in my career. It's just it's just really interesting to to say that I'm almost and I and I'm not if my principal is listening, I'm not requesting this like it is it, part of the excitement is that challenge taking kids that maybe early in my career I wouldn't feel comfortable with and seeing them succeed is that like a glorious thing to witness and and um, I'm not as bashful towards that idea. I'm not necessarily welcoming it like I'm sure Brett you are as well or Ken like don't necessarily throw the kitchen sink at me but um it's just fascinating to say even the confidence side of teaching which you almost take that sports attribute as well you know if you are a confident athlete that makes a huge difference on the ball field if you are a confident teacher then you know I know my system is in the best interest of kids the way I run my classroom has worked for a lot of kids going through crazy scenarios. You know what kids you're going to fall in line and we're going to have one heck of a year because the moment they feel that service learning or project-based learning or student-centered learning or the opportunity, I'm just going through buzzwords at this point, but, but the opportunity where they are in charge of the success of the classroom, a snarky sixth grader loves that. And the last thing they want to do is give that power back. They, they don't want to, to have that restricted. My fourth graders don't want that restricted. And I would venture to say, you know, any student doesn't want that. So it's just once you can get to confident, not cocky in the classroom, um, you're prepared for so many examples. I'll, I'll use this. And then, Ken, I'll turn it over for the next question. So in high school and college, I pole vaulted. Um, and when people said, oh, that's a crazy sport, like it's so dangerous, what have you. And I said that I jumped a lot of times at a height that I definitely could not get hurt. I learned how to fall and how to handle that situation. And incrementally, I got higher into, you know, some pretty scary heights and jumping at things that were much more difficult. And I learned how to handle it for that opportunity. And I felt like in my teaching career, that was a similar situation. I've fallen and splatted plenty of times and it hasn't hurt so bad that, you know, when something major comes along, like I get my class list and it's 29 kids, or, you know, you have the kid that gave gray hairs to the third grade teacher type scenario. 
you've been through it enough. You, you've been, you know, tested and battle wound and, you know, healed and recovered. Um, that mindset and, and having confidence in your style and sticking to your style. This is Ken's favorite uh, line, sticking to your style. You know, whatever that is, is uh, a, a Rhett Oldham classic of just, you can be your teacher, uh, just be committed to being your style of teaching. And it's hard to pick, poke holes through that. And maybe, and I, I just add one thing there. I think when I was younger, I thought I had to be something I wasn't maybe, or I had to, I had to look like other teachers around the building. And, and when I found that I could be myself and I could do the things that I enjoyed and still be successful, that made me, like you said, more comfortable and confident in what I was doing. And, and you're right not not that I want the whole kitchen sink thrown at me, but by this point I've seen a lot of stuff and know, okay, this is how I would treat this now. So I would handle it, you know, and so, yeah, I totally agree with that stuff. Yeah. And, you know, it's like you said, it, just being yourself and knowing yourself, you know, you can play to your strengths, you can grow your weaknesses and, you know, students see through it. They see through it when you're not, when you're not being authentic and when you're authentic with yourself and you're authentic with them, it, it creates that, that positive, that positive atmosphere to, to really transform the way you, you operate your classroom. So you've mentioned service learning a bunch. So I do want to jump into our lesson lens. So maybe you can provide us a little bit more detail on what one or many of those projects have looked like. So, um, and I'm pretty sure this is the direction you want to take it. So I'll just confirm. So question number one. So Matt and I will kind of rapid fire questions back and forth to you for our lesson lens. Uh, question number one, is it a unit overview, a single project or a single lesson or a long-term project? And I believe you want to, you want to talk about one of your service learning projects. Yeah, it's a long-term project, but in it, there's a lot of different um, aspects to it. And so I, just, just one of the, you know, just, I'd really just like to talk about what we're doing right now. Sure. Beautiful. All right. So, um, so sorry, I'm just, we, yeah, um, we're, this year we're working on helping our, our local beach. And so the kids at the beginning of the year brainstormed all these different activities they're going to do. And so this week, now our next week's Halloween, and the, the, the kids went and wrote letters to the, the principal, and they asked for permission, can we host a, they call it Halloween instead of Halloween, a Halloween party where they, you know, kids can dress up in their costumes. They're going to have a costume parade. They're going to have games for the kids. Um, they're going to sell concessions. They're going to make the concessions by everybody bringing something in. And so there was all of these different committees formed and kids got to choose where they were going to go. And um, so there again, we're talking about picking strengths. They picked where they want to go, where they want. And, and that was it. So that's what we've been working on a lot this week, especially, especially as we get closer to Halloween, we call it. And it's, it's been kind of, it's been kind of fun to see. So can you kind of outline, what would you say are the ways that you started uh, the conversation about the service learning project and maybe the the objectives you were hoping to accomplish through it? Lots of things. You know, it start, there's so many different standards that we hit. So the objectives, I can, you know, like as far as like math objectives, we do a ton of work with money and average and all that stuff. But the way we started this was just simply sitting down at the beginning of the year and having a discussion, as I heard um, uh, Ken say, what is, what is it about our community that we want to make a change in? And so these kids came up with all these ideas and we had 
a board full of them. We brainstormed. And then we then we sat down and had a debate. Kids, okay, okay, now speak your part. Why is this important for us to take this on? And, you know, th those debates, I didn't want to stop it so because I want every voice to be heard. So sometimes the debates take a day. And this one this year took a week because we had, you know, we had other classes. We had, so we had, you know, 30, 40 minutes of debates where kids got and spoke. And it was really neat to hear the kids um, kind of fight for their, their ideas and say, this is why we should do this for our community. And, and in the end, we put it to a vote and we put it to a vote and the kids outlined their ideas. And then we start working from there on building a timeline. Here's what we want to do each month to help us reach this goal. And so I, we've been talking about it all night, but the kids are empowered and they are the ones setting our course. And, and so, you know, just like this following idea this week, this was nothing with me. Um, except that we were in science, we were studying homogeneous and heterogeneous mixtures. And so that's what they're selling. They're, you know, they're bragging their science knowledge up to the school. Well, we're selling heterogeneous trail mix and homogeneous solution. And, and they're walking around these long, explain to younger kids what these things mean. And so they're feeling pretty smart and I'm getting science and community project all in one. Check, check. Absolutely. Check, check, yeah, you check. just, you just showcase perfectly how you can, how you can blend that stuff in together. So uh, I think that you, you pretty well described the process for kind of latching on it and deciding on that project for what the students were, were doing it and, and your role as well. So as you progress through the year, how do you, I'm going to kind of shift our, our question a little bit here. How do you adjust your project that you don't know what it will be in the beginning of the year and continually blend in those standards and objectives that you have for your curriculum like you did with the heterogeneous and homogeneous mixtures. So how do you continually do that throughout the year? You know, the, the, you know, as we're as we're studying things in different classes, opportunities just seem to pop up. Um, example being, you know, what we'll be doing an investigation in math shortly about um, mean, mode, range, all these things. And so what I require them to do is they're, these kids are also coaches for all, every class below them. So like three sixth graders take on a class and adopt them as, as theirs and they have a penny ward, but they take that money that those kids are bringing and they average it and they, they find the mode and the meat. And then they, they build a, a budget report and they, and they take it in and they show these classes. And I, I get it. The kindergartners aren't going to care much about it, but that's not my whole idea. My whole idea is that these kids are out in front of these other kids showing them, hey, this is what you brought in. Here's your average. Here's, But more importantly, they're they're being leaders in the school. And these younger kids are going, hey, that's that's what I want to do. I want to be like that. So these opportunities kind of pop up as I go. Th we go through them. And I'm trying I'm trying to keep my eyes open where there's opportunities where I can go cross curricular as much as I can, you know. And that even, you know, if, if we can get something in Fayette where the kids are playing this game and like next week, we're, when we're doing this following, the there's a game the kids love playing rat-a-tat-tat. Rat -tat. They're going to teach the, the younger grades how to play it. And, you know, just being mentors and leaders is, is a huge thing, but also bringing in these other things that they're learning in other classes is, is kind of important to me. And so it helped. It, it's, it's, I just got, you know, keeping my eyes open, I guess, and, and what, what we're studying and what they're learning throughout the rest of the school is helping me a little bit. One of the beautiful things that I'm hearing is, you know, the classic teachable moments, Brett, it seems like 
you see a situation as a teachable moment and you turn it not just into a lecture about why this will be important, but how can we make it substantial? And I think that is a beautiful thing. I guess to wrap up kind of our lesson lens and feel free to expand more about, you know, other projects as well in this. Say you're a teacher that says, hey, I want to try something like this. What are some of the things that you've learned through your successes and stumblings that you would advise to say, hey, someone's going to reach out to the community. Uh, I feel really uncomfortable to ask the community for anything or, you know, I'm going to go beyond the four walls of my classroom or my building. What are some of the things you've learned through service learning that you would suggest to kind of give uh, a, a new teacher to that uh, a jump start? Yeah, you know that. So I, I, I've just got done doing a presentation on this and I was thinking about that very same thing. Like what, first of all, I would tell people, you know, don't be afraid to, to mess up. Um, and, 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 uh, and I would also say, start, start small. Right. When I look back to what, when I first did it that first year with those pop tops, it wasn't anything special, but I mean, it was special. I take, I take it, but it wasn't like it has become. And, and I, I don't think you can start at where I'm at now, where I do at the beginning, I think you got to start small. And for me, just every year, that little growth and, and it was exciting to me and, and knowing, okay, how can I do this differently? What can we do this differently? And more importantly, the kids who came in and go, Mr. D, we got to try this this year. And I was like, yeah, that's a great idea. You know, you're absolutely right. There are things that have blown up my face. I was thinking about this when you were speaking of, we did a, we did a thing. We we're going to make caramel apples one year and we got, we bought a big box of apples. We bought caramel. We had a, a, a great lady came in from the community. She was going to help us. And, and we made these apples and the, they just looked terrible. None of the carrot, none of the caramel would stick and it looked terrible. And, and we found out later we had wax covered apples or whatever it was. And, and, but I missed the point that day. It wasn't about what they looked like. It was about us working together and, you know, the kids having a great time. And, and more importantly, this lady that gave her time to our class to come into the community, that was a big part of it. And I, I, I missed that that day. And, and I, I, I challenge people that do this to take time to reflect. And, and every time you do it, take some time to reflect on what went well and what didn't. And at the first, when I first started this, I didn't do that. And, and then I, I started to do some reading on service learning and things like that and realize that reflection's got to be a huge part of it. You've got to give yourself and your kids time to sit back and go, okay, what worked, what didn't work? And so we journal quite a bit in our classroom at the end of a project and say, okay, what did you guys like about this? What went well? What If I do this, if, I shouldn't say, if, I, if we do this next year, what would you tweak? And so it's, it's just a constant reflecting. And I, I guess if I'm going to give the, the biggest piece of advice of, of somebody starting is just give time for reflection. Even if it blows up in your face, that's not a bad thing. It's, it's just something to learn from. So I'll, I'll ask one more question uh, about that. So I, I really appreciate that feedback. And I think that it's encouraging to us that, you know, haven't take that, taken that leap um, and feel slightly uncomfortable about it. In this service learning, can you talk about 
how you connect with the community as well. Where are you pulling from the community side of things? Because we as teachers feel like, you know, we're a burden to that outside community. How have you influenced or used the community to assist in your, you know, uh, service learning projects, um, either pre or post? And I have one follow up on that. Yeah, you know, that's a good point. And I, I sometimes worry about that, like the community is going to get tired of us being out there, but it hasn't happened. So we, we, we tend to, we tend to find things, our kids got a good pulse on the community and things that our community wants. And so that helps when the community is invested in something, when they see a need for it. I'll give an example. About four years ago, we did the senior, our senior center was in really bad shape and our senior and our, and our class voted on that. And then they went in there and helped raise money for that. But then they also went in there and worked at the senior center and the rest of the community saw that and said, man, that's good stuff. That's, and, and the seniors that were in there, they sat down with our kids and they were, they were so good with our kids. I mean, we did interviews and, and, and present and built biographies on these people, on these people that had been there, you know, and had, had, had lived a full life and shared, shared their accounts. And, and I think, um, when we do these things and the community sees it, they're more willing to help us out, you know, and, and we also bring in a lot of community leaders like our mayor and our, our JDA people, um, just to, you know, help our kids, um, understand what they're doing and what, what the importance of it is. And, you know, um, at the end of the year, before we, we have that, as I said, we had that big idol competition. But before we do that, before I even let them start planning that, we do community-wide presentations. We present to the whole school about, here's what we did this year. Here's what we've learned. Here's um, why we did it. Um, and they share with the school, but we invite the community in as well so that everybody can see, hey, this wasn't just us killing time or asking you for a donation or whatever it might be to sponsor our T-shirts. This was... This is why we're doing it. Here's what we found out. We want to share it with you. And it's been pretty well received so far. And I think just building that relationship with the community over the years, now the community looks forward to saying, okay, what are they doing this year? And when we, you know, we do, like I said, a penny war and we, we, um, we send out letters all over the community and we get so many responses like, oh, we'd love to, we can't wait to be a part of it. And that's really, um, really a great feeling because you know that you've got the support of the community and that, as you said, that doesn't happen everywhere. And so I, I'm pretty, I'm pretty blessed on that. You know, I, I, I don't take that for granted. So the last part that I'll have, and then I'll, I'll allow Ken to move on because I know that he has, you know, he gets on me for following the routine. How, <laughs> so I'm sure you deal with this when, when talking about service learning, the time, and you mentioned it just now, the time that goes into um, creating opportunity, like the things that you're doing, going to the senior center or, you know, going to um, the Ronald McDonald house or, you know, the time taken to build the advertisements or the letters or these type of things that if you're having students do it, technically pull away from, you know, instructional time. How do you balance hey, we're hitting the traditional standards of a sixth grade curriculum, even though I think we would all agree that you're hitting the standards you're hitting at such a level of mastery that it's not within question of whether or not they understood it. But how do you justify the timing? Because I know that's a huge hurdle 
when considering, even though you're telling me start small, start small, I'm still ballooning these ideas way bigger than I, you know, may be able to handle. Absolutely. And, and yeah, you're right. I, and it is, a, I, you know, I've heard that too about how do you, how do you get into your classroom as far as all of those things? And it's, it's a lot of creativity planning. The nice thing for me is I have all the sixth graders at the end of the day, the very last period, 30 minutes. And so, you know, that's a time for us to where we can, where we can incorporate all our, our work on all ideas and incorporate our, our plans and kind of combine, you know, Hey, today we're going to be working with what we did in math into the community project or whatever. You got to be creative with it. Absolutely. But my, my administration has been just awesome in saying, um, if, if there's something that you want to try, we're going to give it a go because they can see the value. I you know, the educational piece, the academic piece is very important, but they can see the value of the social and the emotional part that's giving to our kids. And, and so they have been just awesome in supporting it. And, you know, we, you know, I've thrown some ideas at them that I thought, oh my gosh, this will never fly. Like, you know, like I'll be honest with you that we, when we did the first idol competition way back 11 years ago, I thought the night when, it, when we, the night before it, I thought this is going to be such a disaster. I told my wife, I, we might have, we might have to move next year. And it, it was because I had no idea what to expect. I never ran, did one. The kids had never did one. And, you know, all of this, and we had the whole, we had, we had the K through 12, our whole school coming and our whole community coming. And, you know, you're talking for us, that's quite a few people, 1500 people on a gymnasium. And I'm like, if this blows up in my face, this can be bad. And it turned out to be such a thing that every kid from this point on wants to do it. And so our school sees this as a value. And we just, just went through our Cognia review a couple of years ago. And I was sitting in the meeting in Cognia and, and, um, the, the, the evaluators were sitting there and they said, you know, one thing that was evidently clear is you cannot quit this service learning project that your school did. And I, they didn't know I was part of it. And I just, I felt such a great deal of pride that all of our kids are talking about it throughout the school. Like, and this was kids that were already out, like juniors and seniors talking about it to the Cognier reviewers. And I'm like, man, this is, you can't, how can you stop this? You can't stop this. It's, it's something that's become part of our culture and ingrained and, and, um, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's kids helping others. And I think if we had more of that, maybe in our side, maybe some of our issues wouldn't be so big, you know? So. Yeah. I, I love, I love the direction that, that we're taking this and, you know, just the time that it takes seems daunting, but, you know, all circling all the way back to the question I asked you of how do you how do you continue to integrate the standards into the opportunities? Yeah, and you reference what you're doing with mean, median, mode. The example you gave was specific to your service project that you're doing right now and a lesson that's coming up. I'm sure if you told us about that same standard every year of the service learning project, it would probably look incredibly similar. Just a this is the lens instead of that was the lens. You know what I mean? Like once you start to do it, you start to realize like, oh, I can easily just insert this lesson right here because this is almost exactly how the kids did it last year. So, you know, that, that momentum really snowballs. I, I, this is completely a different topic, but I was working with a teacher on planning a breakout, um, uh, like a breakout box in an escape room. And it took a lot of time. And she said, wow, that took a lot of time. I said, yeah, the next one you do won't take as long and you can also just reuse the same escape room next year with your your same set of students and maybe we 
we change this question and we change that question because it's maybe like timely relevant right now. So it's it's one of those things that the momentum builds and it becomes much, much easier and it it, it creates a better result because you're you're getting better at it at the same time. So I want to be cognizant of our our time here. And I want to jump into our exit ticket, which is the same four questions we ask every guest every week. Question number one, what is the best thing a teacher can do to make a student's school experience better? Um, I think if you, you know, that's a, that's a tremendous question. I think I, I always think about this and I always, I always go back to how would I want my kids to be treated? And I think about my daughters and how I would like them. And so for me, I, w- I would like teachers to teach to treat the kids in their classroom like they were treating their own kids, you know. And you know, my my daughters, obviously, we had that. We had we had we set up boundaries. We understand things, but also there's you know, there's a love there. And every kid that walks into your classroom, you know, they're going to test you sometimes, but you still have to understand that um, they deserve your best every day. And and so and that's what I want. I, I'm thinking about with my daughters in the classroom. I want them to be getting the best possible education they can get every day. And that goes back to me, my giving my best to these kids every day. And, and I think that's something we should look at and say, okay. And, you know, on top of that, um, you guys know this really well, just as well as I do. For a lot of these kids, we're probably the best part of their day. And so um, if we, if we come in with a lot of baggage, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to be soured. And so I just feel like let's, let's give them our best every day. I love that. That's exhausting. And I think you would clarify that your best does not need to be the same level every day. You know, a hundred percent on a Monday may look different than a hundred percent on a Thursday. (laughs) And and definitely that time, you know, in October compared to May. So, but whatever your best is, they deserve it. That's right. I'm looking forward to this answer. So pretty simple one. You know, what is the best piece of advice that you've received in your career? And it may have come from, you know, a colleague, a supervisor, or even a student. <laughs> so when I was in college, you know, it's, it's great that you bring this up. I was in college and one of my professors told me, if you leave your classroom and it looks the exact same as you came into it in that morning, you haven't done anything and you haven't done your job. And so my janitors sometimes hate me for this, maybe. <laughs> But I mean, we, we're busy and we, we do a lot of stuff and, and I, we spend a lot of time at the very end of the day making things back to presentable a little bit. And I just feel like if you're going to run a classroom and you're going to have kids active and what you want and you want them engaged, um, you, you're going to spill a little paint. You're going, to do, you're going to do these types of things. But in the end, she was right. You, you've got to be, you've got to have an active setting and, and it can't look the same and it can't be, you can't have every desk in a row and all that. It's, it's going to look differently. And that was a great piece of advice. Love it. So the school year happens to go in waves. I think we all can respect that. Uh, you had parent-teacher conferences earlier tonight. That can be one of those uh, challenging times that you struggle to survive all the things that you have to do. What is uh, some of those things uh, that you feel like edu- every educator could hear in those moments of struggle to power up a- and push through them? Uh, that's a great question. You know, man, um, we, you're right. We all go through and we all have different 
different struggles and different trials. And one of the things that helps me a lot is I have a good, a good nucleus around me that I can share things and bounce things off, whether it be my family, friends, teaching friends, um, you know, through the teacher of the year, I, I've gotten to know a great, a great group of people around the nation, a cohort, and just having a, a people to, to share things and bounce things off has helped me get through a lot, especially this last year. And then, I mean, not, not in a negative way, just there was so much this last year, you know, through teaching and teacher of the year and coaching. And, you know, at times I, I didn't know which way I was turning and there were just people in my corner saying, Hey, we got your back. We, we're going to help you out. And that, that made me feel appreciated, supported, and most importantly, loved. And I think we all have that opportunity as educators, you know, to go to the person next door, or the person down the hall, whatever, and say, hey, what do you need? I got your back. And right now, more than ever, I think we need to do that more. And I have not been a great person to do that, but I'm learning that as I go now that, you know, I need to be more out there and talk, especially with our younger teachers. You know, they get they get overwhelmed, um, just like the rest of us. And it, we've had the experiences over the years to, to work with these. They haven't. And so I just sometimes will tell them, hey, what's going on? What, you know, what what can I do to help you? And so just having people in your corner, I think, is really a blessing in teaching. So we've we've uh, circled around this conversation all night. So maybe you can boil it down to one like concrete piece of advice. Best of luck. It's yeah, yeah. It's easy to fall into facilitating a repetitive classroom. What do you think separates teachers who are the ones constantly seeking change, innovation, and new teaching strategies? Uh, a willingness, a willingness to want more, and a willingness to, to strive for more, and and a willingness to accept failures, but not defeat. If that makes sense. Like I know there's going to be, I know there's going to be things along the way that are not going to work. But I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna let that define me. And I, I, I love this story. The Wright brothers. I love their story because you know they were poorly.